your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, turn your Bible on. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. This morning, just as we did last week, we're going to look at two accounts. Each of these accounts are six verses long. One is at the end of chapter 2. The other is at the beginning of chapter 3. They revolve around two questions. In the first account, the Pharisees ask the question. In the second account, Jesus himself asks the question. Now, both of these accounts deal with the Sabbath. Or at least the Sabbath is the presenting. It's the issue that's right on the surface. But in both of these accounts, the deeper issue is legalism. The Pharisees' legalism. Their rules orientation that caused them to totally miss grace. To totally miss Jesus. To totally miss the table. And this subject, the subject of legalism, is critical for us for a couple of reasons. Let me just quickly mention three. One, we're all legalists at heart. I'm a legalist at heart. You're a legalist. We're all legalists in in the sense uh, that we all attempt to to please God, to satisfy God, uh, to impress others based on what we do, based on our performance, based on what we, if you will, bring to the table. It's It's a works orientation to life. We're all legalists at heart. Secondly, this is a critical issue because if we don't get this, if you don't understand what I'm attempting to say this morning about the problem of legalism, we will make the same mistake the Pharisees made in the first century and we will miss all the freedom, all the joy, all the rest that is ours in the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Like the Pharisees, we will miss Jesus. And then third, Nowhere in the entire Gospels, outside of Gethsemane, is Jesus Christ more livid, more angry, more deeply distressed than here in our passage with the Pharisees' legalism manifested in their views of the Sabbath. God hates legalism. Jesus hated it. And I hope when we're done this morning, you'll hate it as well. So today I want to talk about three subjects. I'm going to talk about the Sabbath. We need to understand what's going on. I want to talk about legalism, the underlying issue here, and then I want to talk about Jesus and his grace. So Sabbath, legalism, and grace. Let's begin reading in chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, who apparently were following, said to him, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar, who was a high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, 
And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians. The Herodians were Jews that sympathized with Herod, the Roman government, how they might kill Jesus. So let's start with the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God gives Israel several observances to set Israel apart from other nations, the surrounding nations. The Sabbath was one of those observances. It was a big one. And still today, thousands of years later, Jews all around the world observe the Sabbath. About five months ago, we were driving into the city. One of our daughters was graduating on a Saturday from law school. We drove through a, a Jewish neighborhood here in Chicago, and there were Jews all over celebrating the Sabbath in traditional dress. It was just like we were in Israel. Now all this is rooted in the fourth of the Ten Commandments, which just happens, interestingly, to be the longest of the Ten Commandments, demonstrating how important the Sabbath was to the nation. Let me put the fourth commandment up here. This is from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you or your son or daughter, your manservant, maidservant, your animals, nor any alien that is foreigner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So the Sabbath, was designed to reflect both the character and the activity of God in creation. And the Sabbath is a gift from God to Israel to be enjoyed. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. It's a day of rest. A day of relaxation. A day when you stop working. A day when you recover and recalibrate. A day when you choose to come together and to worship corporately. Now by the time of the New Testament, things change when we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, God gives believers in Christ greater latitude than He gave the Jews relative to the Sabbath. So for example, Romans 14, verse 5 Paul is speaking and he says, some people consider one day more sacred, others every day alike. 
In other words, Christians, in light of what Christ has done and the freedom we enjoy in Christ, are not bound to a particular day in the same way the Jews were bound to the Sabbath. But the principle the New Testament will tell us underlying this of resting and, and not always working and when we're resting acknowledging uh, that God is in control and He will take care of us and then coming together like we are this morning uh, to worship God. All of that New Testament principle, good thing. Just as the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a good thing. But, by the time we get to the first century, Jesus' day, the problem was the religious types. Uh, the Pharisees, who always loved to turn good things into bad things by piling rule upon rule around things, sucked all the joy out of the Sabbath. I like the illustration of a birthday cake that other people uh, use. Most of us like birthday cakes. We, I've got some people in my family that live for birthday cakes, and we got a whole, with seven kids, we got a whole lot of birthdays in our family. Now, the Sabbath, in terms of this illustration, is the birthday cake, okay? And what is a birthday cake? Well, a birthday cake is a gift. It's a, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a celebration. It's, it's designed to be enjoyed. And you know what? Most of us don't need rules about birthday cake. What we need to enjoy a birthday cake is what? A fork. <laughs> you know, you put a fork in it, right? But not according to the Pharisees. Let's play this out. The Pharisees come along and say, well, uh, no more chocolate cakes because chocolate is dark and the devil is dark and so no more chocolate. And as a matter of fact, uh, no more birthday cakes on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and uh, Friday and uh, Sunday. Uh, no more birthday cakes. And we only want you to eat birthday cakes standing up between 6.15 and 6.30 p.m. And, and by the way, you know, Satan uh, you know, sometimes is going to be seen or viewed as having a pitchfork, so no more forks, just spoons. Now we laugh, but this is serious. Rule upon rule destroys the celebration, and pretty soon every single kid in Israel hates the Sabbath, hates the birthday cake. That's what the Pharisees did with the Sabbath. That's what they did repeatedly with God's Word. They took something good and added regulation after regulation. They just threw rules after rules at it and insisted this is how people who are really spiritual eat birthday cakes. And God hates this. Hates it. And you see Jesus' anger in our passage. Now let's go to the passage. Let's start in chapter 2 and verse 23. Mark tells us that Jesus' disciples were picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. Matthew and Luke add that they were doing this because they were hungry and they were rubbing the grains together in their hands and they were eating them. So they're harvesting and they're eating. But this wasn't a violation of the Old Testament. This was a violation of the Pharisees' legalistic interpretation 
of the Old Testament. So, for example, according to the book of Deuteronomy, if you were hungry and you were walking in somebody else's field, it wasn't your field, it was your neighbor's field, you could pick a little food. As long as you didn't show up with your John Deere and harvest their whole crop. You don't want to do that. But the Pharisees, taking this fourth commandment, a beautiful thing, to an extreme, added the religious leaders and the Pharisees over time came up with what amounted to 39 different classes or, or categories of work that could not be done on the Sabbath. I'll give you just a couple. So if you had to sew, you had to mend a garment. You couldn't sew on the Sabbath more than one stitch. Not two, just one. And women, this is one of my favorite. Women on the Sabbath were not allowed to look into a mirror because if they looked into the mirror and saw a gray hair and plucked it out, then that would be work and a violation of the Sabbath. So there was rule after rule after rule. So the, the problem here isn't the birthday cake. It's not the Sabbath. The disciples weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't doing anything unlawful according to the Old Testament. The problem is the Pharisees' rules. So how does Jesus respond? Well, in verses 24 and 25, Jesus goes to an Old Testament example drawing from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he says, wait a minute, just as David, because his men were starving ate the bread that only priests could eat, and that wasn't sin. So Jesus is saying, my disciples can eat uh, some oat bran, let's say it's oat bran, on the Sabbath. They harvested, and, and that's not sin. Now, now, Jesus, why isn't it sin? Well, that's what he unpacks in verses 27 and 28. He gives us two reasons why it's not. First of all, the law is designed to address human need, not to restrict or to reject human need. So Jesus says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You guys have turned this inside out and upside down. But he's not done. In verse 28, borrowing from the Old Testament book of Daniel using the, the messianic title of deity, son of man, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, claiming to be God, and says the son of man is Lord over the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, lost in the weeds, not of the Old Testament, but of their legalistic interpretation of the Old Testament, missed both the intent of the law, verse 27, and the authority behind the law, verse 28. Then we come to the second account that begins in chapter 3 and verse 1. And Jesus again gets at both the humanitarian... Uh, intent of the law and his authority, his divine authority over it by healing this man with a withered hand. And so he asks this question in, in, in verse 4, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or, 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 or to kill. 
Now, those are the two stories. This is a controversy about the Sabbath. But the issue here isn't really the Sabbath. The underlying issue is the legalism of the Pharisees. This distorted understanding of how people are made right with God. So what I want to do now is move from the Sabbath and talk about legalism, the deeper issue. What is legalism? Well, legalism is religion. It's not just rule-keeping, it's righteousness by rule-keeping. It's salvation by merit. It's if I do this and, and don't do that, then God will approve and God will accept me and so will other people. And it takes a million different forms. So, for example, at one end of the spectrum, it can be as overt as a Muslim working his way to heaven by rigorously keeping the five pillars of Islam. Or it can be a, a Catholic working her way to heaven by daily going to confession, daily, regularly saying the rosary. Or at the other end of the spectrum, where we move from overt to subtle, it can be as subtle as you and me in the church thinking that God is going to bless us in this particular thing. Because I went to church today. Or because I prayed. And it's everything in between. And I want to tell you, legalism enslaves. It makes us slaves, theological slaves. Because it entraps us into thinking, life is all about me and what I do. My spiritual life is all about me and what I must do. And we lose sight of the fact that ultimately, according to the Bible, it's all about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us in the cross at the table. So legalism insists that obedience proceeds acceptance. Jesus comes along and flips that and says, no, 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 no. I'm dying for you. And my acceptance precedes your obedience. Legalists believe God will love me if I'm good, good enough. Jesus turns that inside out and announces that God will make us good because He loves us and He transforms us. So legalism is rule-keeping. It's salvation by merit. And here in Mark chapter 2, bleeding into Mark chapter 3, legalism is the only Kool-Aid the Pharisees drank. And they drank it all the time. And the problem, you know what the problem is for you and me? The problem is that none of us, starting with the Pharisees, think we're legalists. We're just convinced we're right. Uh, it's, it's a subtle thing. And my experience, let me talk about the church for a second. My experience in the church 
is that it's often the legalists who appear to be the most spiritual. The ones that appear to be the most committed to God's Word. Uh, the ones that appear to be the most committed to the sufficiency of Scripture, and they talk about it. And, and if you don't worship the way they do, if you don't educate your kids the same way they do, if you don't read the same Bible they read and study it the same way they study it, if you don't dress the way they do or, or use the same religious phrases they use, and if you don't read the same books or listen to the uh, to same Christian radio, then uh, you're not in. You're out. And that's legalism. It's a salvation by merit. It's narrow. It's righteousness by rule keeping. And it's the Pharisees. And it's ungrace. And I've got to tell you, it's an issue in the church. It's an issue in Wheaton Bible Church. So let me go a little deeper. Let me tell you three things legalists do. Number one, legalists focus on trivialities. Now think about this with me. Uh, they focus on the letter of the law and they miss the spirit. They miss the, the bigger deals, the weighty matters uh, of the law. So here in Mark chapter 2, never mind that uh, Jesus' disciples were hungry. Never mind that they were serving Jesus. Never mind that this man had, had a withered hand and needed healing. The Pharisees had 39 different categories of work you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And that's all that mattered. I want you to see what Jesus says about this as it heats up near the end, near right before the end of his life. Turn ten pages back toward the Old Testament to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. I'll put these two verses up on the screen. But Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus is speaking... Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You've ignored them. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And you're asphyxiated and you don't even realize it. You're choking and you don't even get it. Now, nowhere will this be more clear than at the crucifixion of Christ. Because at the crucifixion, the Pharisees, the religious workers, work really hard to make sure Jesus isn't uh, crucified on the Sabbath, that he's down off the cross, uh, you know, before the, the Sabbath. And so think about that. The most horrific crime in all of history was committed by religious types and carried out with strict attention to legalistic religious detail. The crucifixion of Christ. Legalism always focuses on the trivial. It always makes you trite as a person. 
And that's the Pharisees in these two accounts. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2. The second thing I want you to see here is that legalists are overconfident, arrogant, and bold. Why? Because they're convinced they're right. And they're, they're convinced they're right about things that are, are really important. And they, they confuse preferences and prejudices and, and opinions with God's word. And they wouldn't say this, but they act as almost if their take on life is divinely inspired. And I want to tell you, it's all heat and no light. All heat, no light. And I find the arrogance of the Pharisees here. I mean, look at chapter 2 and verse 24, this question. Questioning the king of kings. Telling him what he's doing is unlawful. And then when we come to chapter 3, the second account, and, and verse 2, they're looking for a way to uh, accuse him. And what we see here are illustrations of their arrogance. And I want to tell you, I find this arrogance on the behalf of the Pharisees here appalling. You see, legalists, you can pick them out because they're the ones that come to argue. They're the ones that come to discredit. Not to listen, not to learn. And legalists always put you on the defensive. They always make you feel inadequate and judged. You have a tattoo? You drink wine? You don't homeschool? You don't send your kids to a Christian school? You're not fighting it out in the public school? Horrors! You don't read this Bible? I mean this particular Bible, this particular translation. Uh, you don't do this. You don't do that. Legalists are always self-assured, overconfident. And you know what happens to us? You begin to think, well, maybe they're right. And you get confused. Because you want to be in the club. I mean, I want to be in the club. We want to be liked. And they act so convincing. Or I should say they act so convinced they become convincing. But I've got to tell you, this, this boldness is arrogance manifested as theological certainty. And I want to encourage you to be careful. Be careful. Third, the third thing we see here is that legalists are unloving. They're, insens they're insensitive. This is uh, what we see especially in the second account here in chapter 3. I mean, Luke tells us, Luke tells us significantly that this guy's withered hand was his right hand, which means he probably couldn't work, which means his family probably didn't need a whole lot. Uh, but the Pharisees had taken the fourth commandment, which is a tool to worship God, and turned it into a weapon. Rule after rule. That's what legalists do. Now look closely at verse 2 in chapter 3. The Pharisees come looking to find fault. Uh, the only reason they're there is to find fault. 
When you live as a, as a person always looking to find fault, you, you know what? You can't love. You're not going to be sensitive. Uh, you can't listen because you're not teachable. Uh, you're not sensitive. The Pharisees here see a miracle and they don't even budge. And Jesus is appalled at their stubborn heart. Notice verse 5. The word is stubborn. Circle that word. Now please, don't misunderstand. Uh, the, the point here isn't that we ignore error, especially theological error. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, the point is that your orientation in life is that you don't start with it. You don't start with fault-finding. You start with love. And frankly, some of your marriages and some of your kids are shaky. Your relationships are, 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 are iffy because you are way too stubborn. You're a fault-finder. And it's your way in the, or the highway. And you communicate a legalism starting in your family. Now, I, I want to remind you, Jesus could have healed this man with the withered hand the next day and avoided all the controversy, but he chose to do it on the Sabbath to expose them. To expose their focus on trivialities. To expose their arrogance. To, uh, to expose their lack of love. Their stubbornness. Their critical spirit. It's legalism. And God hates it. Jesus hates it. And, and parents, let me just say parenthetically, if you want to raise kids that hate God, here's a couple things you can do. Give yourself to focusing on externals. Make sure in your family you're always talking about appearances and externals, and, and behaviors. And establish lots of rules, and along the way, equate those rules with the Word of God. And then, man, make sure you get really, really angry when your kids or people don't live up to your rules. You yell. You scream. Man, you swear. And, and then... Criticize. Man, man uh, attack everyone who doesn't see it your way. And reject them. Cut them off. You think I'm being a little harsh? A little strong? Well, look at verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees, from this point on, and we're only on the front end of Mark chapter 3, plot to kill Jesus because they never ever heard the music of grace. Now let me go on to our third and final subject and that is grace. Now if you go back to the beginning of chapter 2 all the way through our account in chapter 3, there's five stories, there's five different accounts, five different episodes here, and each of them throws a spotlight on Jesus, showcases the authority of Jesus. So if you go back to Mark chapter 2 and verse 10, we see the authority of Christ to forgive sin. That's the first account. Then in the next, the authority of Christ to both call and to dine with sinners, with outcasts, uh, with drug dealers and prostitutes. 
Then in the next account, we have the authority of Christ to overlook, to, to forego fasting. As, as he tells us, because he's making everything new, talk about it, a statement of authority. And then in our two accounts that end this section, we have Jesus' authority to supersede to trump uh, the Sabbath, uh, the Pharisees' take on the Sabbath. Furthermore, I want you to see in, in this section, Jesus does this all out in the open, in front of friends and enemies. And as a result, the hostility, man, it's just increasing. It's intensifying. And Jesus is viewed as a blasphemer, a friend of sinners, irreligious, and a Sabbath breaker. And by the time we come to our account in verse 6 in chapter 3, they're determined, the Pharisees are determined to eliminate the problem. But what I want you to see is the nature of the authority that Mark reveals here. Because it's not an authority uh, of domination. This isn't God saying, I'm the authority and I've come to wipe you out. This isn't an authority that suppresses. This isn't an authority of judgment. This isn't an authority of anger and wrath. It's the authority of grace of acceptance, of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. You see, it's grace that forgives. It's grace that eats with the sinners and the tax collectors and the despised. It's grace, God's grace in Jesus Christ that is willing to make everything new starting with you and me in spite of our sin. And it's grace that feeds. And, and it's grace that heals this poor man with the withered hand. You see, the Pharisees' authority was an authority of legalism. It was an authority because they were strict and they were rigid and they kept all these rules. Jesus' authority is different, totally different. It's an authority of grace. And the opposite of legalism is grace, and grace is unmerited favor. Legalism is an orientation to life that focuses on what you must do to please God and to please others. A grace orientation is completely different because it rests in what Christ has done in dying for you on the cross. This is my body. The only contribution you will make to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. It's the only contribution you'll make. The solution to the human predicament is not to impose a strict code of behavior. The Pharisees tried that. It's to find a deeper and deeper confidence, a rest, a satisfaction in Jesus and all that He has done for me and my forgiveness and my righteousness tethered to Him and His work on the cross. So spiritual growth, please hear me, your ability to grow spiritually going forward is a function of, of you realizing your standing with God isn't based on your obedience of Jesus. 
It's based on your understanding of Jesus' obedience for you. It's Jesus-centric, grace-centric. The Pharisees miss this. Legalists always do. And they say, come on, i got something new here for you. This is it, man, and if, if you do this, you're in. But grace comes to us, and, and grace is honest, and grace tells us what we aren't, and grace exposes our weakness and our failure and our sin. But grace welcomes us into becoming right now in Jesus Christ what we never thought possible. Because grace will make you uncomfortable. It exposes. But along the way, it will provide you comfort and hope and encouragement that you never dreamed you could experience in this life. Grace will make you, or I'll say it this way, grace will expose your blindness, your spiritual blindness. But it will give you eyes to see. You don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But Jesus freely offers this grace to all who will believe. Come to Jesus. Come to the table. Receive him. Believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. For your love and your mercy. Give us eyes to see this grace, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Our prayer team will be down in front. They would love, they would count it a privilege to pray with you.